Hello, and welcome to the second chapter. I'm your host, Kristen Duffy, and I'm here to remind you that it's never too late to start your next chapter and to share stories of interesting and insightful women who may just inspire you in your current chapter. This week, I'm speaking with Judith Keys, and we're talking about two of my favorite subjects, food and new paths in life. Judith ended up in a secretarial role after school to start earning some money and kind of got stuck. It took moving to France, the birth of her second son, and an online cooking class light bulb moment for Judith to start her own company, My Food in France. My Food in France includes a paid cookery membership, interactive online cook-along classes for teams and individuals, and Judith will soon be organizing retreats close to her home in Provence. It was just a, a, this beautiful experience and it just made me think, I could do this. I could do classes online. I could use my foodie knowledge all about France, all about the beautiful ingredients and produce that we have here. There's so much that I want to share and I realized that it was actually going to be possible. Hi, Judith. Welcome to the second chapter. How are you? I'm good. Thanks, Kristen. Thanks for having me. And thank you for being here. I'm really excited to have a food guest because I grew up in, my sister-in-law says that my family is the only family she knows that's talking about what we're having for the next meal while we're eating the meal before, or we're always planning about what we're going to cook. So I love talking about food. We are the same in my family. And I also, I had a friend here for a week, her and her husband came to stay on holiday and we basically planned our whole week around the meals that we were going to eat, where we were going to get them, and what we were going to buy at the supermarket. Um, that is a very familiar story. <laughs> <laughs> but you grew up in Ireland, which is not known for its food culture. It is not. And it definitely was not known for its food culture when I was a kid. I'm 40 now. And the difference between the food culture then and now is massive. It used to be just sort of meat and two veg type food mm -hmm. when I was growing up uh, I think my dad had his first peach when he was 17 when he went to France for the first time whereas now kids are just eating all types of fruit and veg from a very young age the food that's grown and produced in Ireland now is of an amazingly high standard the restaurants are fantastic the foodie culture has definitely blossomed over the past 40 years yeah it's funny because my partner's father, my partner's from the West Midlands in England, yeah. and we went for breakfast in Ohio, where I'm from, and he had a fruit salad and said, what is this? And it was a pineapple. And he was pretty sure he'd never had a pineapple before. And this wow. was only a couple of years ago. Wow. When I moved to London, so many people were like, oh, is the food as bad as they say? Yeah. And I'm like, no, because it's not like that anymore. But mm -hmm. I don't think it's that far off of a memory that it was like somebody wouldn't have had a peach or a pineapple. I know that we had French friends come to visit 20 years ago to Ireland and we went to a cafe and they served a salad with no dressing, you know, and for French people, they were just like, what is this? It's just <laughs> like dry lettuce and a piece of tomato, <laughs> you know, just no taste. <laughs> I definitely think the foodie culture has been so much more important to the French for a much longer time. Um, not to say that we don't have traditional food in Ireland and in Scotland and the rest of the UK. We definitely do. It's just, it's not been talked about as much before. And I, there are so many traditional Irish recipes that I love, but it's definitely not as massive uh, a culture as in France. I mean, they're just known for their 
gorgeous food, right? Yes, of course. <laughs> it's like you think of food and you think of someplace like France. Though yeah. I think sometimes now I have had better food elsewhere. So it's an interesting yeah. thing how the world has caught up a bit. Yeah. And I suppose I should say that the reason I'm talking about France is because I live here now. I live in Provence in the south of France and they are very set in their way. So they're really good at making the French classics, but it's very hard to find food from any other culture here in France. They're very traditional. I miss being home in the UK and being able to get Mexican food, Indian food, Chinese food, whatever you want, at any time of day or night, pretty much. And you don't get that here. So I have something I'm always interested in is how you got to the point that you've gotten to now, because mm. with the second chapter, we talk so much about change in life and change in career. So other than growing up in Ireland, tell me a little bit about early life for you. So I, I moved to Scotland. So I was born in Ireland, but I moved to Scotland to go to university, to go to college. And I lived there for four years and absolutely loved it. And I did a degree in French and Spanish, actually. but. When I finished that, I just, I wasn't ready to, I wasn't ready to use what I'd learned there. So I just got into a job in a secretarial role, just whatever I could find just to make some money after I finished college. So I ended up there for eight years, Kristen, working in a position that I just had fallen into and I did really well at it. I ended up in a managerial position and things and it was really good. I enjoyed it and I liked the people I worked with, but um. It was definitely not what I was destined to do. It just <laughs> sort of happened that way. And I suppose I loved my life in Edinburgh is where I lived. I loved mm -hmm. my life and I had good friends. So I just stayed on at that. And but I always had this food uh, passion in the back of my mind. I just always had it there. I'd always loved cooking as a kid my dad he was the one who did all the sort of weeknight meals the sort mm -hmm. of just the simple weeknight meals but my mom she was the sort of showstopper making really good sunday roasts or when we had people come around she would make delicious food and nice desserts and things so i always wanted to cook with her i spent a lot of time with my grandmother when i was growing up and I remember just being completely mesmerized by her and how she cooked and what she baked and the sort of magic of putting two or three ingredients together and getting this gorgeous cake or just unbelievable. So it always was a passion of mine. And I did actually start a sort of side hustle business when I was in Edinburgh. I started a cupcake business called Lila's after my grandmother. Ah, and yeah, so I did that on the side, and I loved it. And I just always, yeah, it was just always something I'd wanted to do. I'm going to interject for a second because I want to ask, or I want to say something about you saying falling into this career or falling into this job. I don't think you pictured it as a career when it exactly. happened, but so often I do talk to people that they start doing well, and something that they've fallen into or that they really don't love just becomes, like you said, you were promoted and you became managerial. Did you feel sort of, I don't want to say you were trapped in that job, but once you start doing well, you start making a bit more money. Did you start feeling like, oh, this is what I have to do? Like the side, like the, the cupcake thing was, I'm allowed to do this as a side hustle, but not as my career. I think I felt like I had to be in a job, but I always, I think, knew that it wasn't going to be 
what I did forever and I couldn't really move forward in that position because I couldn't go any further up the ladder really and it was a law firm so I worked with a lot of lawyers who moved up from being a trainee to an associate to a partner and then I watched them all rise up in their careers and once I'd gotten into this managerial role I couldn't really get I couldn't really move anywhere. It came a point when I just thought something is going to have to change. I need to make a decision. And actually the catalyst for me was just what you said there about I need to stay here. I did the whole thing of I've got a permanent job. I need to buy a house. I need to get on the property ladder. And I bought a house. Mm. And then six months later went, ah, and left my job and moved (laughs) country. It is what I don't know ever the right exact expression, but about God laughing at your plans or the universe will never (laughs) try to make a plan. And that guarantees something's going to happen that is completely not what you expected. (laughs) So how did you end up besides the ah, (laughs) how did you end up moving to France? So I was really lucky in the, the place that I worked. My the boss, the woman who I worked with really closely, and she was going on she was going off to have a baby. And because I worked so closely with her, I really thought, what am I gonna do when she's away? She was gonna be off for six months. And I thought, it's now or never. I'm gonna ask if I can take some time off mm-hmm. at the same time as her. And I was so lucky, Kristen, because they let me do that. They let me take a sabbatical for six months. And I came to France to try it out. Now, I have to say that my my family were here. My parents had already retired here. Mm-hmm. My sister had moved. She was living the French dream with her husband. And they'd already had two kids. I thought, okay, just, I'll go and see what it's like. I'll try and try it out for six months. So I came and spent so much time with my family and just really loved being able to be close by to them. And I also met my now husband whenever I was here. <laughs> so it's a bit of a love story as well. But I did go back to my work. I did I did what I had to do and I went back after the six months and very quickly realised that, no, this, this isn't right to leave. So yeah, it was really good that I was able to have that experience of sort of trial, trialling life here. And yeah, I handed in my notice and left and then moved back to France. My husband, he came and picked me up in the car. He drove all the way to get me and we we packed the car full of all my stuff and my cat and we drove from Edinburgh all the way back down. That's not a short trip. Normally I feel like here when people say, oh, it's so far away, it's four hours drive. I'm like, I'm from America. Four hours is just like going to the next state. Yes. But Edinburgh to the south of France, is no joke. <laughs> no joke. No. So <laughs> it took a long time, but we were. It was young love. It was just like a really fun road trip. We just took our time, and it was really great. And that was the start of it. Kristen, I I came here, and I I knew I needed to make something of my life here, and I wasn't sure what that was going to be. And so I've had. I think that felt like a real second chapter to me at that point. What am I going to do? And I was lucky that I'd had that experience in a way working in the law firm in Edinburgh because I was able to use those skills to start an online business here. So I did a lot of virtual assistant work and online business manager work here not long after I moved. Really stood me in good stead, actually. It's funny how everything happens for a reason. Yeah, because it seems like the move part of it is obviously a huge second chapter kind of moment. Mm. But 
from a job perspective, it seems like you took it on yourself, but you still were doing something that wouldn't necessarily have been, I don't know, maybe what you would pictured yourself doing from the mm. beginning. And I didn't do it straight away. I mean, when I moved here, I was lucky. My family were obviously here, as I said, so I was able to stay with them for a bit at the start. I didn't straight away get back into it. I took my time. I had some fun when I first got here and just enjoyed being here. But yeah, then obviously I had to take responsibility and start work. And it was good to have that to fall back on in a way and and to be able to use those skills. But it was a massive change moving country is not what do I want to say I want to say it's a sort of dream that you have and you think oh it's all going to be perfect but actually there were a lot of difficulties for me in the beginning it's hard to it's hard to communicate as well as you want to communicate when there's the language barrier I spoke French but just I just find it really hard in the beginning to get across what I wanted to say, to to make friends, to have those quick sort of fun moments you have with people, even just in a local shop or whatever. I just felt my world closed in a lot. I'd gone from being someone who could talk to anybody and, you know, start conversations really easily and to this I felt very closed in in the beginning. It's funny you say that because moving from the US to London, I thought I wouldn't have so many of those difficulties because English, American, English. And I would say you really described exactly how I felt after about six months here. It was long enough for the novelty to wear off, but not long enough for me to feel culturally involved. And it was a real struggle because my ex was working long hours. The fact that it gets dark here just a couple hours earlier than it does maybe where I was living before, but getting dark early and feeling like I didn't have friends and I didn't quite understand the culture. And I just never, it never even occurred to me that would be such an issue. And it was really, it was like a dream. I was like, oh, I'm going to go and live in another country. But I very, quickly said, I don't want to be an American tourist living in London. I'm here to live. But getting to that point was really challenging. It is so challenging. And I, that is so interesting that you say that happened because I very much thought it was a language barrier thing for me. But you're so right about the cultural differences and how you do just feel other you just are always a little bit other so people find that interesting and fun sometimes and but they would always ask me the same questions where are you from (laughs) Um, and then the whole stuff about northern ireland would come up and the history and, and i just always felt like i was explaining myself i think i don't know whether you got that as well i get a lot of like how do you feel about trump which yeah. <laughs> I'm just like, I really hope that you would even have to ask that question. (laughs) But (laughs) yeah, that was a moment in time or a few, many, several years in time that I was like, it's hard enough to explain yourself as a a culture that people think you're really capitalist and they think you're really loud and they think you're overly confident. And then they're like, what about Trump? And I'm like, oh God, don't make me explain this one because I can't speak for what happened there. I know. Having to apologize on behalf of a whole country. (laughs) Exactly, which happened a lot. I was like, look, I'm sorry. And I do think sometimes how there are other places I would like to live, but I think it was hard enough without the language thing. Mm -hmm. And then I imagine even if, like you said, it's more the nuances of Mm -hmm. the language than it is not knowing how to speak because you knew the words. It's just saying them 
the way people say them culturally and just the speed of interaction you know normally you can just say a little quick joke or you can make an aside and someone just gets it and it's fun and I just I find it so hard to not be able to do that and I can pretty much do it now that it took a long time I mean I've been here almost 10 years now I think it really was with the birth of my son being pregnant and then when he was born that really pushed me to speak and to just get in there and I had so many appointments and so many things to deal with and I just thought right I have to just throw myself into this and I had no excuse anymore I think before (laughs) I was sort of hiding or holding back in this it really pushed me to to just go for it, you know. And I suppose, I don't know whether it made me a little braver. I felt more integrated in the in society here. I think when I had a kid here, it felt like right. I was more part of society and people accepted me a little bit more. I don't know what it was, but I just felt definitely more integrated and part of the community here, yeah. And it was the birth of your second son that led to, we'll call it your third chapter, but or your second chapter, since it is the second chapter podcast. (laughs) (laughs) So Judith, tell me about what happened when you had your second son and how My Food and Friends was born. So my business, yeah, the idea was always there to start something with food again but I didn't know how to do that here Um, if you know anything about France you may well know that the administration and trying to do anything here in terms of business is a nightmare so to set up a food business here you need to invest a lot of money and a lot of time it isn't like back in the UK and Ireland you can just do it so simply it doesn't take much to get set up basically but here it was just this massive headache and I just kept thinking I can't I don't have the time and we don't have the money the money to invest in this I just can't do it and then I think it was yeah whenever I was pregnant with Finn my second little boy I had this time to work out how I might do it differently and how I could maybe have some sort of a foodie business but online friends of mine we got together for our 40th birthdays we all went to school together there's four of us and we did this online cookery class where we all got together and we followed this amazing Turkish woman who showed us how to make this gorgeous meal and it was all over zoom and we came off the zoom and restarted a new one just with the four of us and we ate this gorgeous meal together because it was sort of COVID times and we couldn't get together. And it was just a, a, this beautiful experience and it just made me think, oh, I could do this. I could so do this. I could do classes online. I could use my foodie knowledge all about France, all about Provence, the beautiful ingredients and produce that we have here. There's so much that I want to share and I realized that it was actually going to be possible. I could do it online. I hadn't really sort of I don't know why I hadn't thought of it before. I think I just kept thinking I had to do it here in person with people and doing that little class. I just thought, wow, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to, I can do it online. Uh, I realized the connection was still there. The creativity was still there. The ability to enjoy food together with my friends was still there. And I think just having the time off as well with being on maternity leave just allowed it all to cogitate and allowed me to actually have headspace to think about it as well and put it all together. So One of the things you mentioned was all the gorgeous produce, which we did say you can get 
a lot more locally than once upon a time. I still say um, a tomato in London is not the same as a tomato, I don't know, in Italy or in Provence or something. (laughs) (laughs) So have there, thus far, have there been any things that you're saying, I want to make all these beautiful things with all these beautiful ingredients and somebody's like, I'm in a place that this is not the same? Or do you have ways around a bad tomato? I think that it depends how you cook it so I will be mindful of that whenever I'm doing my classes I also have a membership where we're all so it's an online membership where everybody who's part of it we do class once a month I do cookery demonstrations and one of the things we talk about in there is what is seasonal I will try and be mindful of the recipes that we're going to make that particular month or what I will include in the class that month or if I'm doing a cookery class with an individual so I do that as well I do individual classes for people and I'll be mindful of that so if it is a recipe that includes tomatoes I'll do a tart where they're cooked and they get caramelized and delicious in the oven so you're not relying on a you know a raw tomato that if it doesn't have too much taste raw at least once it's been baked Uh, and a tart with lots of herbs and garlic and olive oil and things that'll be nice I spoke to someone who's Greek who was a MasterChef winner I listened to that. Oh, yeah. I listened. Yes. <laughs> and she was talking about the same kind of thing about caramelizing and how you can really take something that might not be the most gorgeous piece of produce and end up with it being so nice because mm-hmm. of techniques that obviously you know quite well. <laughs> yes. Yeah, you really can. And I have to say that here where I live in Provence, I think it's because of the fact that I live in the middle of nowhere as well, but we don't get as much produce from other countries where I live so it is very seasonal we cannot get strawberries outside of sort of April to August you just can't really find them in the shops Um, and there's something I love about that that it's local and we're trying to eat more seasonally and taste better I do think that's true and we were back home in for a holiday in the summer and I just was surprised again at the fact you can just get every single fruit and veg at any time of year. Yeah, I was thinking about that when we were talking about it. It's a good thing that we have more more knowledge about what exists in the world, but the mm-hmm. fact that things have come, become so global and so easy to get anything at any given time, yeah. we forget that like a pineapple shouldn't be in the West Midlands exactly. of England. So from an environmental standpoint, and like you said, even just how good things are when they're fresh and local, mm-hmm. we do need to start eating more and more like that. And it makes it very exciting, I think, to try and use ingredients that you wouldn't necessarily use all the time so that's what I really try and encourage my members to do and we will specifically talk about what's in season in a particular month and recipes that they might like to try and I try and inspire them to use more locally sourced fruit and veg especially yeah Obviously, with two young boys, you everybody knows, two young children, you're going to be running around, you're going to be really busy. But would you say that My Food in France is family cooking, fancy cooking, or kind of somewhere in between? Or does it have to be different? So in My Food in France, I love to have a little bit of everything to suit the people who are in my membership or the people who come to me. And I will quite often have mums who will come to say I need help making just really simple weeknight meals that everybody's going to love that I can make leftovers with that will last a couple of days that 
everybody in the family are going to like or things that they can mix up and change. So a sort of staple recipe they can make all the time, but that they can mix it up and add different things. But I also have people who really want to make posh French meals and nice, really classic French recipes, or they'll want something that they can make on a date night with their husband. So I'm doing these at the minute, which I love. I'm doing these secret weapon classes. So people can come to me and we'll do a class either on the night that they've planned their date night or for example if they're having people around and they want to create something new I'll cook with them and then we'll get off the call and they'll serve the meal that we've made together or they'll practice with me and we'll do a practice class and then they'll recreate it for their meal that they're making for their other half or for their friends or I love that it's secret weapon secret weapon exactly <laughs> you do mention though like women with their kids or their husbands or what have you but do you have a strong male contingency as well I mean it's 2022 are the men cooking are they cooking I don't have as many men in the membership as women for sure for sure what a good question actually because I know that the foodie contacts that I have are there are more men in that contact list than there are in the membership so I feel like I have quite a few chef contacts or other foodie contacts in the restaurant industry that type of thing or who are producers I have more men in that sphere than in the people in my membership so that's a really good question actually I just think it's interesting too because now with you saying that I always feel like it's still statistically like male dominated from a high food chef world. Exactly. But women are doing home cooking. So what is the gap? This is way beyond this conversation. But it, there is such a gap that it is interesting to think, why is it like the chore of making a simple meals for your kids falling on women, whereas men get to be these exciting chefs? <laughs> exactly. And I do think what I want to try and introduce is what I do. I do quite a lot of my marketing and things over on LinkedIn, which is a strange place to do foodie content. But the whole point of me doing that was because I wanted to reach a different audience. And I'm on Instagram and the usual foodie type channels as well. But LinkedIn was really important for me, I think, to reach a different audience and also to hopefully try and do some team building classes in corporates. So mm -hmm. I used to be part of the corporate world and it would be cool to inject a bit of fun and creativity and let's get together and do a cookery class online and get the guys as well as the women involved and all cooking together and show people that it is a brilliant experience. You've got a creative outlet there. You can learn something new, provide for the family as well. As I said, with my family, I know that is the case because I say we make a beautiful meal and we sit around and argue over it, but that's okay. <laughs> One thing we can talk about and not argue is how good food is. <laughs> exactly. I got this brilliant book yesterday. It's actually my birthday tomorrow. And oh, happy early. Thank you. And one of my lovely clients sent me this beautiful book, a Julia Child book called People Who Love to Eat Are Always the Best People. So Kristen, you're part of that group, <laughs> obviously. <laughs> That's so cool. Yes, we are definitely the best people and I'm definitely someone who loves to eat. <laughs> So as far as the actual starting of the business, obviously it's still pretty new. What kind of challenges are you seeing or what do you think has been the most difficult? This for me has been a 
big learning curve because from having started my own business before with the virtual assistant work, I knew how to do it. I knew how to do all the administrative stuff. I knew how to market myself. I knew how to do all the sort of basics about setting up your own business because that's a big deal if you've never done it before. I was going to say I'm the opposite. Like I feel like the creative part is a piece of cake. I need somebody to come along and say, here's what you actually need to do. <laughs> yeah, like so, the actual stuff. <laughs> yeah. So that was my job before when I did the online business management stuff. It was telling people, teaching people the strategy, you know, how to set up your own business. What do you need to do? How do you put everything in place? And I still have that other business there I'm still working in that other business until I mean the dream is that the foodie stuff will become wildly successful and I'll not have to do any of that other stuff anymore but I still have my clients from my virtual assistant and OBM business and I love them so much and I support them still so I'm very grateful for that so I think to answer your question I'm so glad that I went through that journey as well because I have all those tools in my Mm -hmm. toolkit now for setting up this new business and I think for me the difference with this is it's not necessarily a necessity for people so the virtual assistant stuff it very much was I had a full client list very quickly and a lot of people come on and just sign up for me to work with them straight away and that that was amazing to me and I did you know this is very different for me it's a it's not like it's a luxury product but at the minute with the cost of living it is it's something that I need to teach people why it's important to come and join and come and do it it's going to give them inspiration and give them I hope connection with family connection with friends give them creativity all these different things I've also got a massive vault of recipes to share there is lots of value in there, but I think it's just getting that across, which is a challenge for me. It does feel like any kind of community in a weird way is a treat, which it should yes. be. Like, I don't know, you hear the term self-care and you picture people, I don't know, lounging around in a spa or something, but mm. having a community and something that the luxury of paying for classes and things mm-hmm. does feel like a luxury and like mm-hmm. self-care when times are tough and people mm-hmm. throw that out the window. Yeah food is like the most basic of necessities so being able to do it well sometimes also does mean being able to do it less expensively yes but you do need to find that reasoning or that budget and say oh of course this makes sense and I do think that it is something that's so important to me to help my members with so we'll look at low-cost alternatives or we'll look at something that can feed a family like I'm feeding a family of four hungry boys and I'll quite often use ingredients that lentils, chickpeas, all these things that bulk out a meal are really healthy and cheap. And so it's about learning how to use those ingredients, especially fruit and vegetables, mainly veg in fact, uh, is so packed full of goodness. And so I think it is an investment for people, for their families. It's not just, as you say, a treat. Um, but I do think I quite like getting a lot of treats in there as well. I was looking on your Instagram page and I was looking at the reels in particular. And it's like, definitely there is a spiked number of views. Like it's like dessert porn because <laughs> you have like however many views for all of them. And then you get to one of the desserts and it's like thousands and thousands of views. I couldn't believe that. Yes, I did. My son's first birthday cake and I created a reel. Um, and yeah, I woke up to like 5,000 views or something. I couldn't believe it. It's amazing. So yeah. But it's not even just that one. I was like, oh, that's a sweet. Yep. Everybody's watching that one. (laughs) 
It's literally like dessert porn. Yeah, yeah. And I love that. I quite often will ask my members, like, what do you want? What do you want to learn? What is it that would make you happy this month? What have you got on? What can we do? I will make it a real collaborative experience because at the moment the member the membership is quite small the more you know when the more people who join it will get less and less like that this is the perfect time come in now whenever it's just a small amount of people I can give you lots of attention I'm going to do like little Q&A sessions twice a month I've got interviews planned with some local producers I've already got a couple in the vault actually the recordings of local producer friends of mine and showing you the vines and the I mean at this point in time just right now the vines are all, all the grapes are being harvested it's just beautiful I just I'm so excited about it Kristen I think because I've just it's felt like this passion of mine that's been part of my life for so long and I'm finally getting to share it and talk about it and yeah it's just it it feels fun it doesn't really feel like work so I've been very lucky. (laughs) Do you think it would have happened if you weren't in France? Yes yes I think so. I love the idea that I can share this life here in France with people from home and people from all over the place. I love that I get to share that because I do think there is something special about where I live. No, it has that sort of dreamy idea of coming to France and I'm hoping to organise retreats here next year uh, for people to come and experience the wine tasting and the local markets and things. Oh, sign me up. Yeah, (laughs) I really want to show people just how gorgeous it is around here and we'll cook together and yeah, lots of fun stuff planned for next year. So I do think there is something special about where I live, but I think food would have been part of my life no matter where I lived and maybe it would have been more in a sort of maybe I would have set up my own cafe if I was back in Ireland or I don't know but yeah it's nice to be able to do it online I get to talk to people all over the world and get to connect with people. It is really interesting because I've talked to so many people you know about how we do now talk online and like you were saying during the pandemic to be cooking with this Turkish woman beautiful food with your friends and while I would never say anything about the pandemic was good the fact that we have discovered it was moving in that direction, but I feel like we all embraced it in a way because we had to, that now sharing something like this, like you said, ideas about doing things like this online, I think people aren't resistant to it. It's, of course, I'd love to take a cooking class online. Yeah, exactly. And that really was a light bulb moment for me. And I think for anybody listening, this has been so important for me to realize as well, is that if you are thinking of starting something new for me it just felt so big in my head like how can I make this passion of mine into a business and all I really needed was that one thing just what's the one thing I could sell what's the one thing I could do and all it took was that one class and I went oh I could actually make something of this so I think that's what I would like to say to anybody who's thinking of starting something new is you don't need to create a whole business immediately and or do everything all at once. It just takes one little step, actually, and you can work everything out afterwards. You just go for it. Just do that one little thing and see what happens. One of my many foodie ideas, because I always have an idea for a new restaurant or a new something. Oh, I, love <laughs> I haven't it. done that yet, but I always have an idea. And my brother <laughs> was a chef for a, a time. He was like, just start small. Don't try to do everything. Like one thing and because there was something very specific I was and I was like oh maybe I could and he's like no like just do the one thing really well and people will know you and they'll come for that and I was like oh yeah it's so true like you don't need to start an empire exactly 
and the whole Instagram thing was difficult for me in the beginning because I thought oh there's so much foodie content on there you know I'm going to be competing with people who've got these amazing budgets for filming and then I just thought just do it just so just put a photo on, just do it and see what happens. It's interesting you say that though, because one of the things that was a highlight for me looking at your website and signing up for some of the recipe things was these beautiful, when you're making recipes with just music, talk about self-care. I'm just like listening to this music and watching this recipe and I'm just melting like, oh, I've had my relaxing moment for the day. It's like food spa. Food, dessert porn and food spa, those are your specialties. I would, this is an idea that I have not done it yet, but I would love to do. And it is mindfulness. So, cooking with mindfulness. And I am thinking I'm going to do a class where we make a really simple recipe and we do it mindfully together. So, I had thought of doing scones. I can't remember. I think you call them biscuits in the US. Is that right? Yeah, they're similar. pretty similar. Yeah, because we have sc- scones. Scones, yes. They're a bit more, yeah, they're probably closer to biscuits. Okay, so my gran, she, I used to watch her make scones when I was a little girl, and it always looked magical to me. I have this memory of watching her rubbing the butter and the flour together and lifting it up between her fingers. And watching her hands, her really beautiful, soft hands. And I just have this memory of that. It's such a clear, foody memory. And I would love to do a class for people where we mindfully make scones together. And we spend half an hour just doing a really simple recipe, but taking our time to feel the ingredients. And to, to listen to the sounds and to smell the butter and to just really take our time and enjoy it. Or the magic that it is. That is such a magical idea. I love it so much. (laughs) It is funny because I just made American style biscuits, like probably the first time I've made them in years and years and years. And one of the things that I enjoyed so much was putting the butter into the flour. Yes. It's so nice, isn't it? It is. And I just thought, oh, this like shaggy dough. And anyway, that's a whole (laughs) other story again. I feel like this is an interesting time to ask you about your quote. This is a really important quote for lots of reasons. As you move through the day, be aware of how you treat yourself. Be aware of what you do to and for yourself because you set the standard for others. As you grow in your awareness of how you treat yourself, you will probably become aware of the example you've set for others. You may realise that the time has come to set a new example. And that is a quote by Ayanna Van Sant. That I love. <laughs> it feels like a very mindful quote. Yeah. I don't know whether it's a generalization, but I think as women, we are quite often thinking of the needs of everybody else and not often thinking of our own needs. So we'll quite often be looking after our partners, the house, our kids, doing a job and not taking time to look after ourselves. And I think with the whole self care thing we mentioned about, and I think that quote for me just really reminds me always to think about how I treat myself, and then hopefully that will set the example for others and try and look after myself and my family so I can be probably a better mum. For me, Kristen, it's really important. Obviously, I want to speak to you to try and welcome more people into my world and get people to come and see what I'm doing with my food in France. But mainly my goal is to try and help other women. It's really important for me as a woman to inspire other women to 
if you have got an idea for a new business to give it a shot. But I think the one piece of advice I wish I had taken this time last year is to cut myself a little bit of slack. I have been really hard on myself the birth of my second baby because when I was on maternity leave with him before he arrived, I was having all these dreams about this new food business. And then he came along and I've been quite hard on myself about why is the business not growing quicker? Why have I not done more? Why have I not been marketing and doing videos online every day and all this? And then I just realized it's taken me a year to realize that I've been raising a tiny human for 12 months. You know? <laughs> I suppose that's what I want to tell people is if you if you are juggling a lot of things, if you are thinking of starting a new business, just, you know, cut yourself some slack. You have the privilege and, you know, the ability to take it slowly that probably doing a lot more than you realize. Yeah, I don't have a tiny person that I'm raising and I don't know if it's because it's later career or a career shift for me, but I'm constantly so hard on myself. Why isn't the podcast growing faster or why isn't my production company? And I'm doing a lot of things and when I really stop to think about it or talk to somebody about it, they're like these things take time. But because I'm seeing people that are technically age-wise or even younger than me, my peers, and I'm like, they're so successful. They've been doing this always. So sometimes it is just like taking that time and knowing there is growth. And maybe you'll grow a little faster because you, like you said about growing an online business, mm -hmm. you know, you have other life skills, but you can't expect something overnight. You can't expect it. And also, I think one of the best things I did was to ask for help. So to, if especially if you're wanting to start a new business online there's so much good advice out there ask for help speak to other people who are doing a similar thing get help get some advice from other people that can help so much so there's just so much I think looking back in hindsight and that is what was important for me to get across today is just to take time and there's enjoyable things about the small times too. Like you were saying, having a small membership means you can be more focused and spend more time with them. But there is something to embrace about the time that at the moment you're just impatient and wanting it to go faster. But mm -hmm. then taking a moment to breathe and being mindful about what you're doing in your own life isn't a bad thing. Exactly. And I heard some really good advice the other day to write down so this might be useful for you as well Kristen if you're saying you're thinking you're not doing enough is to write down at the end of the day so rather than a gratitude list to write down what you've done that day like what good stuff you've done so that you can look back at the end of every week and go oh I actually have done a lot this week <laughs> I was very not only productive but just an all-around good person <laughs> exactly so yes I heard that advice and I thought I'm gonna do that and hopefully I'll inspire others to look after themselves as well and to treat themselves with respect and care. I think there's probably very few things you can do for yourself that are better self-care and better taking care of yourself than good food. Mm -hmm. So I definitely think you're probably inspiring a lot of people through, like you said, veg, fruit, local produce, and just learning to enjoy the things we put in our mouth and that nourish us every day. Yeah, I hope so, Kristen. I really hope so. That's what I really want to do with the second chapter. <laughs> <laughs> Judith, I appreciate so much that you've come and told me about your various chapters and My Food in France. And I wish you all the best with it. And I hope to see you in Provence for some fabulous retreat. <laughs> you will be the first to know. Excellent. And thank you so much. Take care. Thank you. The second chapter is off next week, but I'll be back on the 25th of October with more stories of women who have changed their lives and careers after 35.
Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the episode, tell a friend, follow us on Instagram, and sign up for the Second Chapter newsletter. The Second Chapter is brought to you by Slackline Productions, a production company dedicated to redressing the balance of women's stories being told and who's telling them with a specific focus on women 35 plus. You can find us at thesecondchapterpodcast.com and slacklineproductions.co.uk. Thanks again.